to next generation saints i'm your host nick coons so the last episode we had here we we're actually talking about psychedelics um bob worley was talking about more about the psychedelic movement and whatnot so to pick up where bob was and we're talking about pdsd and about how um they got, how people were trying to use this and how pharmaceuticals are trying to do this so bob go ahead and take us up right where you left off Okay. I think uh, when I left off that I was actually uh, getting pretty excited about this uh, because I actually lived it. Uh, as I like to say, I was there. Now, uh, in 1969, I was only 14 years old, right? But my older brothers, uh, my older brother was definitely in the LSD exper experience. And, uh, and, and so his inspiration and a person that he dealt with was Timothy Leary. And uh, uh, I, I followed with, as the psychedelic people know, uh, Osley acid from, from uh, San Francisco, uh, uh, window panes from back then, and uh, purple haze uh, from back in that time period. So uh, I was young, I got into this, and I thought I was on a journey, but I was on a destiny with disaster because it's a very deceptive uh, type of journey that you're on. And you start listening to like uh, these Eastern mystics and, and uh, Hindu philosophers and all of a sudden that, that stuff makes sense, right? Which is crazy, it shouldn't. So uh, I wanna move on and kind of get us into where we're at today. Okay. And this is what's happening. The, the <clears throat> Experience has come back to us, and now uh, we've looked. Uh, we're looking uh, uh, past Christianity. We're post-Christian, and uh, the the world that we see uh, is one of confusions and of hate and so forth. And so you have people that are looking uh, within themselves or uh, out to the universe to find meaning right mm -hmm. and so we end up at, at burning man and so we have what's called microdosing and okay. so it's supposed to give you just that just that little edge to have that philosophical uh uh cut where you can actually you know communicate at that level and so carl and i were at uh an event where the uh they had the the doctors psychiatrists nurses and the healthcare professionals talking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, helping people that have gone into shock, rape victims, uh, military people uh, that that's you know having problems and so forth, and uh, and so uh, what happens is uh, as I mentioned last time that with two of these microdosing uh, trips allegedly that you're supposed to, if you're on the way far left or the way far right, you're supposed to come to a point where you just want, you know, like a piece or something, right? Of course. So it, it shifts your convictions. It shifts who you are at some level, which is real dangerous, right? Very dangerous. Right. And so when Carl and I were, it, it, it was like kicking me in the head when it happened. We, we were uh, in, 
in listening to this and somebody raised their hand and they said, what about the entities? And I thought, oh boy, they're, they're gonna kind of shoo him off and another person, what about the entities? And basically they said, well, that's why you want a doctor to, uh, you know, uh, give you the right dose because these entities show up and they could be very hostile or they could, you know, and uh, as somebody that remembers those, uh, those entities showed up back in the 60s and 70s. There were problems with that, you know. And of course, we think as Christians, uh, we know that it's a demonic type of force. Of course. And so when you get into some of the uh, really uh, charged uh, uh, psychedelic experiences, you get into like what they call machine elves. And, the, and you can look it up on YouTube, Machine Elves. I gotta now, admit, that's the first time I've ever heard of a demonic creature or an angelic being being called a machine elf. Right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, the machine elves, there's a discussion on does our mind produce the machine elves or do the machine elves enter into this, this uh, enlightened... Uh, you know, psychedelic event. I've come across that a lot. I've talked to people who are both either on drugs or they're not on drugs. And they'll say like, well, how do you know that angels exist or demonic forces? <clears throat> and it's one of those I've come across in church as well, where you'll have people who will make up stories about, well, I had a experience with an angel or I saw a demonic figure. And then you have to deciding factories, are they having hallucinate? Are they hallucinating? Is it a medical issue? Are they on drugs? Or are they actually experiencing something from the spiritual realm? But I think also the positive is we also have, you know, the Bible, which clarifies these points more often than not. So, you know, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's, I, I've, I've had people where I worked, I work at a Hilton hotel and they, I've had people come in who are higher than a kite. I mean, they're off the top and they're, and you're going, they're like, oh, there's, there's these winged dragon dogs that are coming That's after right. me. And you're like, I what? hate when that happens. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I I just joked around with one on one time because they came in. They seemed so serious, and I go, well, "Did you get them dog dog biscuits?" They're like, "Why didn't I do that?" <laughs> I was just like, I was being facetious, but okay. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to add to that is as a Christian, uh. I've had some interesting experiences where uh, one time I walked into uh, the Crystal Cave. It was a uh, an occult bookstore, and uh, I was actually looking for a satanic Bible to do some research. And as I walked in, the uh, person that was behind the counter tuned into me and followed me and says, "What do you want?" I said, "What? Well, I'm looking for a satanic Bible." He says, "We don't have them. Get out." Right, and I thought, well, they recognize me, right? So I left and I went next door to a Mormon bookstore, same day, right? Walked in and so I thought, well, I'm gonna get the Joseph Smith, uh, King James Bible. Guy walks up and goes, what do you want? Yeah, we have them, uh, but uh, I got one left. If you want it, buy it, but get out, right? And so uh, I've had that a few times where something that's in them recognize what's in me. 
No, it's crazy. I came across that recently, just very recently. I've been looking forward to talk about Mormonism and we've been talking about having your son Jordan on the show. And I was actually reaching out to an old friend of mine who is a Mormon who I've known for, you know, since high school. And I have a college, Disney, I call him college program because I did the Disney college program. And then one of the guys I roomed with, he was also Mormon. He was very proud. He wore like a badge of honor. But most Mormons I know, just like Catholics to a large extent, where the, you know, the Catholics will say, I'm Catholic, I'm Christian, I'm you know, like that. And Mormons will do the same thing. Well, they'll say, you know, oh, I'm Christian, I'm a Mormon, like it's something like you're higher up than the rest of the Christian community. And so I reached out and said, you know, let's talk about faith, because that's what we do on this show. I talk about all sorts of philosophies and faith. We talk about all sorts of things like, like psychedelics, like Burning Man. And I reached out. And the craziest part was, I think the same kind of experience happened in my end, because I reached out and said, hey, Ian, you know, can I, that's my friend's name. And I said, do you mind if we have a conversation about Mormonism? He goes, well, I'm just a Mormon, you know, I, I'm just Christian. And I go, okay, but you know, do you mind if we talk philosophy here? I'm not going to try to argue something with you. I want to hear your perspective. You'll hear my perspective. We'll have debate or discussion. And it was almost like he goes, I heard a voice in me telling me not to talk to you. Mm. And he said straight up to me, I go, a voice in you told you not to talk to me about your faith as a Mormon. Or whatever you want to call yourself nowadays. Right. And that, that kind of caught me off guard. I mean, I, the only other time I had that experience was at Fullerton College. I was waiting for my sound engineering class to kick in. And this guy was talking about Wicca and I was talking about uh, how it's not a good thing to do. And we started talking and whatnot. And this one person comes up and they were like, you could tell they were Wicca. They were a witch or a wizard or whatever they want to call themselves. It was a guy who did magic. I, I call him a wizard, but he had a different title. I forgot exactly what he called himself. And he took one look at me and he goes, I know who you work for. And I said, at the time I was like, the Walt Disney Company? He goes, no, I know who, because I, like, I was like, the Walt Disney Company? He goes, no, I know who your master is. And I looked and I go, oh, okay. And I just like, he gave me this most, like the most evil, like he wanted to take a chunk out with his fist in my face. I like, could knock a few teeth out. And I just felt like, oh, I felt like the Holy Spirit was with me going, it's not going to hurt. He's going to harm you. He can't touch you. But I was like, I kind of, I know what you're talking about, Bob, where you have that. And it's, it's crazy how that takes place. Like you well, ask him. Not... <laughs> oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's, it's not like uh, I walk around all day in this uh, realm where this is happening on a daily basis. Oh, no, no, does, no, no, no. It does happen. Now, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this towards a point and then turn it back over to Carl. Go for it. Now, I get in, I'm involved in uh, dealing with the uh, uh, UFO phenomena and their belief systems and the Nazis. I, Got to bring them in. The Nazis uh, actually they brought they brought the together uh, during the forties the largest uh, record keeping of witchcraft and witch trials in the world, and it still exists really? today. And I think it's Poland. Uh, it, it's actually a facility that has all the records of all the witch trials that they could find. And so uh, what they were trying to prove is that they were, these witches were actually uh, uh, Aryans and that they'd been persecuted by the Christians, right? So you kind of you see the connection there. Yeah. But the alien 
phenomena is amazing. For example, uh, you have Mormonism, which uh, had a, has a belief system that God lived on a planet called Kolob. Um, now, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they cover it up today, but they had their God lived in the star system, Pleiades, and I have the documentation for this, and it was on a planet called Elcyon. Well, when you go and see and, and Google the Pleiadian connections, you're going to see that there's entities that are communicating with these people supernaturally that have had close encounters, you know, that, that have been, uh, you know, visited uh, by these alien beings. And they all seem to have a universalist message, just like the LSD experience, just like the peyote experience. And so I showed up to a, uh, a, a private conference I got invited to by UFO people that no outsiders were allowed, but a friend, uh, Steve, uh, that Carl stayed with in Cedarville, him and I went, and they were talking about the appearances in the heat huts of Native American, mm. Americans giving messages to people, right? And I'm recognized this as the Nazis, as the psychedelic type of situation. So I raised my hand and I said, what about Madame Heleni Balaski? And the guy flipped out on me and said, no, we don't want nothing to do with her. But she inspired some of the Nazi prophets, right? On these alien type connections and so forth. And it's still wow. to this day a philosophy. So I'm on a, I, I, I'm having a meeting here not too long ago, a few months, and I was with a, some, a Native American, and I was sharing about Burning Man and sharing about the psychedelics and sharing about the aliens. And his eyes got big and he says, I've been in the heat hut. I've experienced those beings, right? So there is wow. something supernatural going on and this is my concern. If Burning Man and all these doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs get psychedelics introduced into the medical community, right? And this becomes mm -hmm. commonplace. What message is this spiritual evolution going to bring us to? And with that, I want to turn it over to Carl and let him kind of take over and see what he has to say about this. Well, really fast before I jump onto that, and Carl, you say it. I would say I would probably change this a little bit around. I would not call this spiritual evolution. I'd call it spiritual regression. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, Carl, yeah. take it away. No. Yeah, they, they call it spiritual evolution, though. Yeah, that's true. Uh-oh, glasses just, on. Just to give you gentlemen... I know, sorry. <laughs> you know something's happening when. All right. Here's some of the, uh, this is from 2017 and 2019 mm -hmm. from the Planky Norte lectures. Mm -hmm. Bob and I went to a few of those. I've been to uh, some different ones last, last uh, time I was at the burn as well. Some different uh, workshops on psychedelics. But just to give you a sense of, of some of the some of the content, I'll just read you a few of the workshop titles, Trauma and the Mystical Path, Hacking Consciousness, uh, Psychedelic Integration, Enlightenment, Ethiogens, 
and evolutionary spirituality. Uh, these are just some of the, the workshop titles. Uh, from, from trauma to atmospheric resonance, uh, awakening awareness, psycho-spiritual integration, shamanism and cognitive liberty. Uh, from another, this is 2019, and, and Bob wasn't with us at this particular uh, series of workshops, but this is from the uh, FEO Generation Psychedelic Speaker Series. I mean, it's, it's well done. I mean, it's professional, very mm -hmm. professional. Don't, I mean, folks, don't kid yourself. We're talking about, we're not talking about stoned hippies. We're talking about a professionalism that goes into this field. So some of the I've workshops, a lot of that. I've been seeing a lot of that where it's like this, like I said, it seems to be organized by these companies you're talking about, or at least Burning Man Company. And then they have the, um, the politicians, they have the lobbyists, they have the special interest groups that go in. So they're all doing pressure. So it doesn't look like it's some stoner that's out there who's just writing, like creating the, you know, pet rock that's just painting like, hey, pet rock, turn me over. Right, it seems right. to be very well organized and executed. And it is. I mean, my goodness, uh, this spring I attended two virtual conferences on psychedelics and uh, psychedelics and science specifically, uh, looking at the decriminalization of uh, psilocybin and uh, MDMA and its usage in uh, PTSD issues, trauma issues, making it into a medical, bringing it into the medical field. And by the way, there's already a number of, of psychedelic uh, pharmaceutical companies dealing with the psychedelics specifically. In fact, the psychedelic industry is is quickly becoming a, a growth industry, even on, I mean, there's companies being publicly traded that deal now in psychedelic um, pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you want to invest in psychedelic stocks, you can. So here's just from this particular workshop series, a, a few of the interesting uh, titles, Psilocybin FDA Approval Status, um, Iaboga for Addiction and Ayahuasca for Grief Therapy. By the way, Bob and Nick, um, Vice came out with a really interesting article a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, or maybe just one week ago, uh -huh. on how Ayahuasca churches in Canada now have received government support uh, for the legal use of ayahuasca as a sacrament in their church services. And apparently, my own capital city of Winnipeg, 120 miles down the road, apparently there's an ayahuasca church there. I think I need to go and talk to some folks and find out what's going on. Um, somatic yeah, focus. About it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another workshop, somatic focus, again, showing the scientific aspect of this, that this is not just simply random discussions. Somatic focused ketamine and cannabis assisted therapy for PTSD. Another one, overview of psilocybin therapy for depression, addiction, and religious professionals. Um, a different one, psychedelic, sacred technology of the past, present, and future. Uh, virtual reality assisted ketamine, ketamine therapy. Goes on and on. Social justice, access, and outreach in the psychedelic renaissance. Psychedelic privilege and harm reduction for the LGBTQ community. And on and on it goes. Went to a few of those. Very interesting conversations, very interesting talks, uh, because this is the cutting edge. Nick, here's the important part for, especially for Christians to take away, is that the psychedelic experience, and I have never experienced that. Bob, you've experienced it. The psychedelic experience opens up an alternative spiritual worldview. Okay, mm -hmm. 
and that alternative spiritual worldview now is gaining legitimacy across a number of different fronts. When I was at the Parliament of World Religions in 2018, ayahuasca, we had representatives of ayahuasca churches brought to the front stage and were given legitimacy in front of, of the world religious community. All of a sudden, there it is. A psychedelic spirituality, a psychedelic church is now being given legitimacy as a, a religious practice. Um, there is a psychedelic renaissance. Most Christians have their heads firmly placed in the sand on this issue. But let me just demonstrate how pervasive this, this is. I teach a course on uh, secular and pagan trends at a small conservative Christian college, Bible college. I do it once a year. It's a 20-hour course. It's a really intensive five-day course. Last year, I had roughly 50 students in my class. I had three different students come to me. Now, this is a, a conservative Christian school out in the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan. And I had the three different students come to me and talk to me about psychedelics, how either their family were involved or they were getting uh, pressure uh, through their, their peer groups back in their home communities, uh, how it is a real thing. It's no longer just simply, uh, here, take this to get high. It's now take this to explore yourself. Take this to discover yourself. Take this to do exactly what Bob was talking about, to go on that journey. To be honest, uh, I, I think we can also take it a little bit further from what you're saying here, Carl, and say that even though certain people, and maybe I'm wrong here and correct me, certain people say, find yourself with this, but I could see people in higher positions of power saying, don't just find yourself with this, control people with this. Mm. So, I mean, just the idea of having this out there where it's like, okay, now you can find yourself with this drug. Yeah. No, well, continue on, no. It already controls a worldview. When, when Bob, Bob, when you're talking about Timothy Leary, allow me to read you a little bit of one of Timothy Leary's, uh, this is a section from one of his books. I'm quoting parts of it in, in my own book. Um, there's a really interesting correlation between spirituality, Eastern spirituality, and psychedelics. For example, in the Rig Vedas, which are a series of pre-Hindu texts that's foundational to the Hindu faith, in the Rig Veda, you'll find an entire section given over to songs and psalms of praise to Soma. And what is, what is Soma? Soma is an elixir. It's a drink. Nobody knows what exactly it is. But in the Rig Veda, the Soma, it, you ingest this, you take it, you drink it, and it gives you divine enlightenment. It opens up your eyes. You now see as the gods. And Hinduism springs out of the Rig Veda which is interesting because there's some discussion asking what is the question, what is Soma? It definitely seems to be a psychedelic substance. If Soma was truly a psychedelic substance, which became the foundation of, of this experience, Hinduism, the religion of Hinduism itself, then therefore springs out of a psychedelic experience. So with that in mind, here's Timothy Leary talking about his 1962 ashram visit. I came to the ashram and joined the med meditating, chanting service. Then those who were to take the trip remained for more prayers and contemplation. The LSD had been placed in chalices on the altar. Incense and flowers adorned it. The LSD sacrament was mixed with holy water from the Ganges, blessed and drunk. 
I was too high and overcome by the power of the ashram and the shrine and ancient rituals. We were all caught in Hindu mythologies. I looked around the room. Ramakrishna's statue breathed and his eyes twinkled the message. Vivekananda's brown face beamed and winked. Christ grinned to be joined again with his, terrestrial, with his celestial brothers. The rare wood walls breathed. The sacred kundalini serpent uncoiled up the bronze candelabra uh, to the thousand-petaled lotus blossom. This was the fulcrum moment of eternity, the exact second of consciousness, fragile, omniscient. God was present and spoke to us in silence. I was a Hindu from that moment on. No, that's not the way to say it. I recognize that day in the temple that we are all Hindus in our essence. We are all Hindu gods and goddesses, laughing Krishna, immutable Brahma. That day in the temple, I discovered my Hinduness. Okay, this is where psychedelics takes us. It comes full circle. Psychedelics gave us Hinduism. Now you take the psychedelic experience and you return to Hinduism. Maybe you don't ever return to an ashram, but you return to the spirituality, that spiritual experience that says, I'm on a journey to discover my divine inner self. I'd like to add something now that you've kind of hit, 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 a, hit a, uh, a topic here, is that uh, back in the uh, 90s, uh, I'm kind of a, what you'd call a church watcher. I watch what's going on inside the church. And a very uh, well-known uh, Catholic scholar by the name, name of Peter Kreeft. Uh, and he's well-known. He's been on like the Bible Answer Man with Hank Hennegraff and has been on, uh, has worked with many Christian scholars. And Peter Kreeft wrote a book called Ecumenical Jihad. And you can still get this book, uh, you know, online uh, from what I understand. And Peter Kreeft is uh, out surfing one day and his board hits him in the head and he wakes up on a, a sandy golden beach in, in heaven and he meets, uh, the, uh, he, he meets uh, the different philosophers. He meets uh, Buddha and he finds out that Buddha is a Christian. That, uh, he meets the Hindu uh, deities. He meets the Muslim imams and he meets all these different people and we're all as one and so i took a lot of heat on exposing that book back in the 90s because christian writers endorsed the book and so you could look it up online ecumenical jihad by peter creek find out who the three christian uh, authors were that endorsed the book the point I'm bringing out with this is in California, we have the psychedelic movement. We have uh, uh, with the church. Uh, as you said, Carl, it's happening up in Canada. Uh, you look at the DMT uh, psychedelics and we have the United States government and I believe it's in New Mexico that has a project that they fund for people to take trips now, a DMT trip's like 15 minutes. You go right into the machine elf reality and then back out within this 15 minutes. So it's not like that this is something that is just passing through, but there is a spiritual evolution that's happening with people like Peter Kreeft, people that are into the psychedelics. Uh, 
in uh, Burning Man, and Burning Man has an influence throughout the whole world. And people come from Russia, from uh, throughout the you know the UK, from Australia, Europe to come Israel. to in Israel to come to this one point to learn something. And as we know, Carl, they tell you to take it uh, home with you. Uh, of course, we got a. Uh, we're having a psychedelic yeah. experience. Psychedelic experience. Okay. So any, it's the anyways, government trying to cover it up. Right, right. I think that was, was from ayahuasca. Um, <laughs> so, the point that I might add, and this is kind of where the camp of the unknown God meets the reality of what's lying ahead is this, is that they all come here to take home their philosophy, the philosophies they learn, and what they, <coughs> uh, their education back all over the world, to change the world, in the camp of the unknown God, Carl Tyker and myself and others are meeting it head on, and we're dealing with it right. Mm -hmm. And so by you doing these shows, is that you have a medium that's going to get it out there. And we cannot stick our head in the sand and say, uh, well, things are going on as they always have been going on in the church. Mm -hmm. we're, we're dealing with uh, this cult or that cult. No, we're dealing with a worldwide spirituality that is growing and transforming the world. And like I said, with just a tie-dye t-shirt, You'd go buy some guy and you'd lift your head up because he's got a tie-dye t-shirt on because there's a connection there, right? And it, it was more than just counterculture. There was a, a spiritual connection. And I'm saying right. today we have a spiritual connection. And what better person than Carl uh, to, to tell us more about it? And throw you under the bus there, buddy. <laughs> did, I was about Bob. to say that was kind of a thrown out. Hey, Carl, <laughs> now it's your chance to talk. And he's like, I can see him going like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where am I? <laughs> <laughs> Me? <laughs> well, you know, I, I appreciate Bob how you talked about the cap of the unknown God, kind of meeting it face to face. I, I remember, was it? I think it was 2018. We had a young man who came to our camp. He was high. He'd been drinking something. He wanted everybody else to drink what he was drinking. And he was arguing with us that he was only existing in the now. He didn't exist in the future. He wasn't existing in the past. He was only existing in the now. It was really a pointless, fruitless conversation that we had with him at the time. But uh, because he was beyond, he, his, his mind was, at that point, his mind was, was fogged by by the delusions uh, that, that he was under. But my goodness, um, you do see it. It's there. It's real. Uh, the thing that's kind of important for people to realize, too, is that the very experience of Burning Man is meant to be an externalization of what has been happening internally through psychedelics. The art, the layout of the city, the experience itself. You don't have to take any drugs, but it does 
It is, it, it's not that it does. It is intended in a way to mirror externally what has been happening internally. So, so it's basically a, it's an a, it's outward expression movement. of the import's transformation. That's right. That's right. So it's a real movement. The psychedelic renaissance is a real, a real experience. It's a real movement. And the Christian church, for the most part, uh, remains unaware that this is taking shape. Listen, this, and I remember Bob was, was there. You weren't at, the, at this particular workshop, but Jen and I were at a workshop. I, I, I'm not able to give the details of it. I'll give you just the, the hint of kind of what took place. And the reason I'm not give the details is because the details don't matter. We're able to nip it in the bud, okay? And that's important. Jen and I were at a workshop at Camp Mystic. And there was a panel discussion on ayahuasca. And there was a lady there. She was a well-known American attorney. And she has a nationally recognized brand. And she has legal products that are, are well-recognized and well-noted. And she was talking to, to, the, to the group about how excited she was because she had received a contract or was in the process of negotiating a contract with a major conservative Christian organization that would potentially be using her products and promoting her products to potentially hundreds of thousands, maybe more Christians across North America. But what that, that, that was interesting. I mean, that was fascinating on its own merit, but what, what, why she was really excited was because she was absolutely tuned in to ayahuasca and psychedelic spirituality. she had had a spiritual awakening through her ayahuasca experiences. And she told all of us that she was so excited because if this contract would go through, not only could she, not only could she have the influence of her legal products into the Christian community, she had the potential now to talk about her story and to bring her psychedelic spirituality into it in a subtle way. Here, you've used my products. Now check out my self-help, my mental health products, my uh, this other side. Basically, the and, bulls are sneaking into the sheep's flock. Right. I mean, and, and she, she recognized this as an open door. Everybody in the room was like, uh, if I name, name the, the ministry, people, uh, pretty much most people would recognize the ministry. It was a big ministry. And, and we realized that we were hearing the the plans so to speak or the agenda to bring this psychedelic spirituality into the christian conservative community through this one venue it's, now it's if a, other churches are listening, way. right if other christians are listening to this even churches may pick this video up and watch it what is this ministry called so they can keep an eye out just in case and this is where i i can't divulge the name of the ministry and the reason i won't is because and there's reasons for this they never used it Here's a point, though, that was very, uh, I think, very good. This is why Jen they didn't use the name there. of the ministry. No, they did name the, They did use the name of the ministry. But uh, here's a here's the, the the thing that where 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 one of the reasons why I can't talk about the name of the ministry. Number one, the ministry has never used it. Jen and I walked out of that workshop. Jen's pastor was friends with the head of that ministry. So we were able, Jen was able to make a direct connection to that ministry to say, stop, hold on. You have no idea who you're dealing with. You don't know what you're involved with. Back off before you can't. And we, I've watched to see what this ministry has done, and it's, they've never promoted, never used any of this 
individual's material? Was it because Jen was in the room when we were hearing this conversation? I don't know, but very, very likely. So, I mean, I'm not going to give the name of the ministry because I'm afraid people might throw them under the bus. They were potentially being used without even themselves. Well, what about the, the gal who is promoting the, um, proponing the psychedelics? Is there any way we can know who this person is? I mean, not yeah. I, 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 I can't remember the name, her name at, at this point, but okay. uh, I can definitely look it up and get that. Get yeah, because um, I'll put it on the, for everyone who's watching, I'll put it in the link in the description below, but because mostly it's just because, you know, um, if this person's going around doing these type of things, we want to be able to recognize the, the, the wolf in the sheep's bin and kick him out. Um, we're going to, I'm going to wrap it up in a little bit because we're about to end part two here and we can continue on to part three. Um, but yeah, if there's somebody out there who's, who's openly promoting the use of psychedelics within a church, I think it'd be not not to say that the ministry that you are attending to is necessarily bad, because people right. can be deceived, but to know who this individual may be, or at least some kind of description of what this person is doing. So when it goes to the church's doors or to other churches doors, they can say, oh, yeah, we've heard about you, you can kindly walk out the door at this point. Yeah. So it was just, you know, to share this story was just to demonstrate that there is a, a reality mm -hmm. to this, to this discussion that goes simply beyond, oh, a bunch of kids getting high. Right, right. I think it goes much deeper than that. I think that's just right. a cover story on that. So we'll wrap up right now on part two, and then I'll, we'll go ahead and come back on the part three. So everyone who's watching this again, my name is Nick Coons. This is Next Generation Saints. We're, I'm going to turn this one off. This is part two. We're going to be doing part three. So I'm going to go ahead and ask everyone to go ahead and click on the next video um, that pops up. That's going to be uh, part three of this. All right. So until next time, we'll talk to you then.